You're listening. No. You're listening to the Buns.com Podcast Network. (laughs) (laughs) Buns, buns, buns. and Ink Podcast, episode 276. I'm your host, Lisa Muir, and joining me today is Brendan Fry. Hello there. And a special guest from our illustrious news team, Preston Doza. Glad to be here. Hey, welcome, Preston. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Very tired and very cold at the moment, but it, that's winter for you. Yes, it's, it's really brutal outside, and I'm not really loving this at all. It's kind of... How are you, Brendan? You enjoying it? I'm fine. You back? From Migs this yeah, I am, week. Yeah, yeah. Did you have a good time? It was okay. Were you cold? No. Because it was cold in Montreal. It wasn't that bad. It was very cold in Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's get started uh, with some really big news uh, based off of something we were talking about last week. So the FCC had uh, voted to repeal net re- neutrality this week. So that's kind of a big deal for uh, the American people right now. Um, what do you guys think about that situation? Honestly, um, as much as I wish that wouldn't happen, it's kind of been pretty clear for at least a few months now yeah. that just due to the 3-2 party line that's currently in the FCC, like, it was going to happen no matter what. No, it's no right. how many millions of comments people sent. Like, it's a shame and really dumb that they didn't actually take any of those comments into consideration for some weird reason, but the 3-2 vote was something to be expected since plans were announced earlier this year. That said, mm-hmm. it absolutely sucks. Yeah. I agree. Right now, it's uh, important for the American people to get out there and let their members of Congress know that this is something they don't want to stand for, that this is something that can still change, especially after uh, the vote in Alabama um, putting one more seat in the Democratic House. Uh, Senate. 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 Thank you. The Democratic Senate for the, uh, the party to be able to you know, do something about this. So... Well, the problem is uh, the FCC is an independent agency. Yes, there are members of the um, Republicans and Democrats on the board, but it is technically supposed to be a third-party agency that is not controlled by Congress or the Senate. So although Congress could pass a law, as of right now, they really can't control what uh, the chairman does for the um, FCC. Yeah. Well, it's a sticky situation and uh, not a great precedent to be set. Um, no, it's it's messy. I mean, it depends because it could um, have ramifications for early on or these internet providers could uh, hold off doing things for a little while to kind of make it seem like everything's A-OK. But it's hard to say right now which one of those scenarios will happen. Exactly. Um, it should also be noted, and we mentioned this last week, that Canada has already... Uh, voted to maintain net neutrality since 1993, I believe, um, because of a, a law that's in place that keeps that sort of thing from happening. But uh, it's always dangerous when our neighbors to the south uh, yeah. cre- make then these things happen there because uh, it will affect dramatically our trade relations and certain things that are going to happen in the industry. So we'll have to just keep an eye on that and see what's happening there. Right? Yeah? All right. So... Next up, let's talk about uh, the fact that PUBG hit 1 million sales in 48 hours the second it hit Xbox One. So, uh, Preston, you were talking a lot about that. You seem to be our resident PUBG expert (laughs) right now. Over 100 hours played. Not on Xbox, of course, I'd like to clarify. Yeah. Not on Xbox. But, yeah, 
PUBG uh, came out on Xbox One's uh, game preview program on Tuesday, and it's been hyped up since E3, E3 2017, that um, PUBG would be coming to Xbox One, and it did, and people went out in droves to buy that. Maybe it's because of the lack of Xbox exclusives in recent months, or because of the fact that simply PUBG and everyone seems to love that game. But yeah, 1 million copies in 48 hours is pretty impressive. It took uh, PUBG on PC, I believe it took just over two weeks, around 16 days, to hit mm -hmm. 1 million copies sold on Steam. Now, the thing for the Xbox One version, however, is it's still like preview, it's still in beta, early access, and by most accounts, it needs a lot of work, more than the PC version has yeah. ever needed. Yeah. The transition to consoles has not been kind for PUBG. Apparently it was looking messier on consoles than it does on PC. Yeah, which is surprising since I had I have a really high-end PC and I force myself to play on medium graphics just so the game can run properly with right. a smooth frame rate. You don't really have that option on an Xbox mm. One. Yeah. And the fact that the flame frame rate is wildly fluctuating and a lot of features have been so far toned down for the Xbox One version. Right, right. Shows that has a very long way to go. Like, buyer beware if you want to play PUBG on Xbox One at this point. And that's a real shame because it, it's it the, the timing is so coincidental with the release of the Xbox One X. It's very obvious that it's a thing that they wanted to use as a showcase piece to really like capitalize on the graphics and capabilities of the Xbox One X. And if that's the case, this is definitely not the thing that's going to be working in their favor. Yeah, I think it runs a bit better on the Xbox One X compared to the regular Xbox mm -hmm. One, but it still runs pretty poorly. Like, you can at least have an average game on an Xbox One X, I believe. If you're trying to play on an Xbox One, you're in for a lot of pain. Oh. That's disappointing, actually. Yeah. Didn't the Xbox work heavily with... Um, Blue bit? Is that right? Uh, Blue hole. Blue hole. Okay. Um, didn't they work heavily with them to kind of get this thing ready to go? Yeah, they've they've been in talks for a few months to help the development across, and I believe it was in October. Um, Blue hole was in negotiations with Microsoft to extend the exclusivity deal, the console exclusivity deal, for a few more months past the normal uh, three month deal that they currently had in place. I'm not sure if that went through or not, but. Um, it almost feels like they wanted the version for Xbox One rushed out for the holiday season. That's like not good. It, like, it is a game preview, so it is early access. It's not a full release. But the original report said that it would come out in 2018 for the Xbox One. Mm -hmm. And part of me is wondering, like, how much did they sacrifice or push through so that they could get it out two weeks before Christmas? Yeah, I can see them. not enough work was done. But then again... Even on the PC, there's so many bugs. Maybe at Microsoft thought, hey, no one's going to notice that this is a little early and yeah. a little buggy. Yeah, because the PC version was really, really buggy on, yeah. on when it first came out. Nowadays, it's almost like a completely different game, especially on the test servers and especially before it releases to the 1.0 version on the 20th. That's really soon. So that's like a week or so from now? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, not so much for PUBG fans and with Xboxes, but... This is what it is, I guess. So, um, the Game Awards were last week. Yeah. Now we mentioned, we touched on it a little bit, but because we record our podcast on the Thursday, none of us had actually had a chance to see it. So, uh, if, for those 
of you who did not know, uh, the Game Awards uh, aired in L.A. Uh, last Thursday evening. And uh, so during that time, there were some pretty interesting reveal trailers. No really huge announcements, but we got to see a few things. Uh, we got to see a little bit more of Death Stranding. Uh, we'll get into this a little bit later. We also got to see a teaser trailer from From Software that uh, there's so much speculation about. A lot of a lot of theories because it was about an actual 13 seconds of, of of footage, and then it cuts to the From Software, uh, From Soft um, logo. But let's get into the winners before we get started about the announcements. So, uh, first winner, uh, the game of the year was The Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild. I know you're happy about that, Preston. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and it beat out uh, Super Mario Odyssey, PUBG, Persona 5, and Horizon Zero Dawn. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was it, it took a lot of rewards home. So uh, Legend of Zelda also took home uh, best game direction. Uh, it's uh, the best narrative went to um, uh, what remains of Edith Finch. Do you guys know that game at all? I know it. Yeah, I know of it. Haven't had the chance to play through it yet, but it seems pretty in interesting. It's it's really cool. I got a chance to play it a little earlier this year, and it's uh it's a really neat experience. It's really trippy. Yeah, you jump, you jump through character, various characters throughout the thing, and, and you're trying to piece together the story, and uh, it's really, really fabulous. Um, the uh, winner for best art direction went to Cuphead, so Canadian team. Good win. choice. I think and, that's a good choice. Though. Yeah, Justin Trudeau actually uh, congratulated them over Twitter, which was kind of neat. Yeah, um, and they're they're cool. They're a cool team. So it's great to see that all that hard work, mm -hmm. even after the delays. Uh, Paid off. Agreed. Because uh, we know their focus was definitely on their art. Uh, best score went to Near Automata, which is uh, hands down one of my favorite scores of the year. Mm -hmm. um, and best audio design went to Hellblade: Senua's Sacrifice. I, that's a good. That's a good choice. I think that yeah. was a really solid game and had great audio design. You gotta play it with headphones. Trust oh yeah. Me. It was very. It's extremely immersive because of that. Um, best and they. Uh, Hellblade also uh, the her the main character Senua's uh, voice actor Malina uh, Melina uh, Jurgens uh, won for best performance and uh, also taking home a best impact uh, game with impact which is a really interesting category um, and it, it it touched a lot of people that game touched a lot of people very deeply from what I understand uh, I know uh, Kenneth. Uh, Kenneth Shepard did a review uh, on the on CG Mag Online. If you want to check it out, he talks very deeply about uh, how personal this game can become if you really let it. Uh, best ongoing game goes to Overwatch. To nobody's surprise, like, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Because okay, listen, it was up sure. against Warframe, uh, Rainbow Six Siege, Grand Theft Auto Online, Destiny Two, and PUBG. Like. Best ongoing game. First of all, why would that include a game? Like, why would that include nominees for a game that was released for games that were released this year? Because that seems to me like the kind of game, like this award would be given to games that were released a year ago or several years ago. Mm -hmm. Overwatch yeah. winning yeah. counts as that. But at the same time, Overwatch released three characters this year. Yeah. yeah. And a handful of maps. And some and, costume skins. Yeah. And part of me is like, okay, you had Rainbow Six Siege, and you had Warframe, both which added like new um, 
Warframe added a had a new free expansion come out with some open world elements for the first time in the series history. And Rainbow Six Siege is an amazingly updated game. Yeah. Like Ubisoft has been keeping a great track record for that. And it feels like they just chose Overwatch because Overwatch won Game of the Year last year at the Game Awards. Yeah. Well, see, I I feel I know what you're saying. Like I'm feeling like okay. Uh, on Rocket League has announced a whole bunch of new expansions this year, new cars, new game modes, and it's not even on this list. Like like, and I know that's a huge game with a huge mm. following. Uh, it just came out on Switch as well too. So it's just like uh, games like as as awesome as Destiny Two is. And as awesome as PUBG is, they were just kind of released this year. Yeah. So you're exactly right. It should not go to a game. It should. I mean, games in this category should be games that were released last year, or and, at least several years before that. Yeah. yeah exactly. So now oh, well, that's interesting. Best mobile game goes to uh, Momentum Valley Two. Oh, sorry, Monument Valley Two. Sure, that's fine. I didn't yeah. play it. Beat out Fire Emblem Heroes though. So I don't that know. game's not great. No, it's a gotcha know. game. I don't know. Uh, like, it's good for the first, like, 45 well, minutes sure. of gameplay. Then it's like, nope, you have to pay a lot of money to get it working at that point. That's, mm-hmm. See, his, that's the thing about that kind of uh, style. Yeah, of I mean, but there's, there's ways to do it game. right and there's ways to do it wrong. And uh, Fire Emblem Heroes is not the way to do it right. No, no, definitely not. Uh, they can take a lesson from Brave XPS. Final Fantasy Brave XPS was really good. Um, best handheld game goes to Metris, uh, Metroid Samus Returns. Sure, it's a good yeah. game. Yeah. Uh, best... VR AR experience goes to Resident Evil Seven. Like there was any other nominee for that? Yeah, I don't know, man. Star Trek Bridge Crew is pretty cool. I mean, but Resident Evil Seven was more like one of the first games that felt like a complete game in VR. Yeah, well, because yeah. it was an actual complete game, they put VR. In. <laughs> I know, but like other games, like you were to play like Skyrim and whatnot, it feels really tacked. It on. feels really tacked on and yeah. hard to play. But in Resident Evil Seven, it feels natural. Yeah, no, you aren't wrong. Yeah. yeah, no, I totally agree with you there. Uh, I uh, to be honest, uh, like the only other thing on this list that would I would have maybe said something would be Farpoint, but Farpoint I, I, was like a three hour game. Yeah, it was like three hours. Super hot, play. maybe. Yeah, super hot, super, but, but yeah. super hot wasn't much different than its regular gameplay, and it was it's a, li- cool. a little bit more immersive in the thing. It's, yeah, yeah, well, it's still a kind of a puzzle game. So, but yeah. I think we can all agree, best action game uh, winner was a cool choice, uh, Wolfenstein Two. Yeah, I think that's a good choice. Yeah, because yes. it's going to win that award forever. Yeah, yeah. now. Forever and ever. Um, best action adventure game goes to guess the Legend of Zelda: Breath yeah, of the Wild. Sure, why not? Shocker. It it clean swept, pretty pretty clearly. Uh, best RPG goes to Persona Five. That's weird that Zelda didn't win that one. It's an RPG it, though. It's an RPG. It's, it's no. It's classified as uh, action adventure. Like Zelda games are more like adventure type games. Uh, like go out and explore. You're, you're still leveling up. You're okay. still collecting gear. I don't know. So here's here's the what they consider. Here's the RPGs that made the list. So Persona Five, South Park, The Fractured But Whole, uh, Final Fantasy Fifteen, Divinity Original Sin Two. Now here's the thing. Final Fantasy Fifteen didn't come out until this last year. Came out last year. Yeah. Why yeah. is it on this list? Actually, yeah. Why is that nominated? Yeah. Maybe because of the fact that all the DLC was released this year. No, I think maybe no. it. No. Yeah. No. No. Okay, no. then I got nothing, guys. Did it launch after the Game Awards last year? <sighs> were the Game Awards in December last year? No, they were earlier. No, it, it launched yeah. before December. So. Yeah. But maybe the awards like, were just before uh, it launched, so they couldn't maybe. be considered. Yeah. And uh, near Automata 
and Divinity Original. But Nier Automata is not an RPG either. It's like a bullet well, hell. Okay, Nier so Automata is more of an RPG than uh, Zelda and Legend of Zelda. By uh, a large. But I mean, if you're considering one, you could. Ah, oh, whatever. I don't. It would have won every category it's put into. So I'm I'm kind of happy that other games <laughs> had a chance to win. But yes. Uh, best fighting game went to Injustice Two. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Uh, sure. Oh, it mean, beat out Needhog. I had a lot okay, of fun with Needhog. Needhog was good. But yeah. like in terms of other games it's, this year, it's yeah. like Arms. Marvel vs. Capcom wasn't that great. No. Yeah. So. It was bad. It was objectively bad, yeah. I mean, okay, so it was up against like Tekken 7, Arms. Tekken was good, though. Yeah. yeah. Tekken was a good game. And Marvel vs. Capcom. Yeah, it's fine. Games. I mean, eh, sure. I mean, I don't have any... All the things that won, I have no objections to. It just they were safe. They were very safe yeah. choices. Uh, family went to Super Mario Odyssey. Sure. Uh... Yeah. Strategy went to Mario and Rabbits. Play that game. That game is amazing. Yeah. It's your game. Uh, no, I mean, like. It's XCOM for kids. Yeah. Again, this is another ch- case where a lot of these. It beat out XCOM. It beat out it beat XCOM. Out, it beat out the XCOM expansion, War of the Chosen. Yeah, I see, know. but that shouldn't have been on here either. Like, it's a, the expansion was cool, but it's not a. I mean, it's a full pretty full size expansion. Yeah, it is though. pretty good. Yeah. Although, Total War Hammer 2. That was supposedly a really Yeah, good I would game. have thought that would be better at the start. Huh. Uh, I, I would say that um, for game awards, PC games tend to get yeah, short. That's true. Stick yeah. During them. They'll go for the big, more popular titles like Mario and Rabbids Agreed. rather than yeah. something that's it, PC only. Exactly. Um, best uh, racing or sports game went to Forza Motorsport 7. Yep. Sure. That's fine. Yeah, the, there was not a lot of competition this year for that sort of thing. No. Uh, let's see. Best multiplayer one two PUBG. Yeah. yeah. Again, that's fine. Great uh, game. It's a great game. Uh, most anticipated game is going to The Last of Us Part Two. Eh, sure. I mean, this yeah. one's that's kind a dumb category. That's a dumb it's category. It's a sponsored yeah. category. It's, yeah, these it's, are that's a voted category. Yeah. yeah. So like, what's the most popular of these games? Best indie went to Cuphead. Yeah, good choice. Yeah. Uh, best uh. Student game, it went to level squared. So cool for student entries. Yeah, Good to sure. see new blood on the independent games scene. Uh, best esports went to Overwatch again. I don't like, that, like, that I don't agree with. Like, the uh, esport, which was like okay, so we have no events happening for eleven months of the year. We have the Overwatch World Cup, and the preseason starts um, the night before the game awards. Yeah. So you're gonna. What are you voting on exactly for that? Yeah, yeah. nothing happened. Yeah, in Overwatch I mean, esports this year compared to every other nominee. Yeah, in yeah that's, that's Rocket League. For was me, that's there. weird. That's a weird choice. Yeah, League. but hey, fans can vote on what they want. Dota. Yeah. No, I don't think fans could vote on this category. Are you sure? I'm, What's the sure. fans' choice awards? It's listed. Under no, it. then it might be a fan choice. Yeah, it's fan yeah. just like they like Overwatch a lot. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, don't I, know. I mean, it, that's like League or Dota would be far better choices of the best. Literally any of the other nominees, CSGO, Dota, League, Rocket League, would be more appropriate. Yeah, but whatever. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, anyway, I'm going to wrap it up there because uh, uh, just for time's sake, but if you want to check out the uh, rest of the winners, you can check out our recap on uh, CG Mag Online. You can also take a look at some of the trailers. Want to talk about some of those? Like, we we need to have a moment about that. The new foot, the new trailer for Death Stranding, which makes even less sense than Crab trailer from E3. To be fair, I'm, I'm going to throw it out there. I I think Kojima does better when he has a corporate overlord censoring some of the stuff he does. Part, 
part of me agrees with that, but the other I also, part of me wants to see this insanity. Oh, unfold. I want, I want to see, I want to see how messed up. This well, that's game the thing. Is. Like, I, I, I want to see Norman I mean, Reed a swallow a baby. To be fair, I think he needs the, to make a proper game that people are going to enjoy. He needs that corporate overlord saying this doesn't make any sense. That being said, I want to see how crazy and over the top he gets because when no be, one's stopping him. There will yeah. be nothing else like this. No, <laughs> after or before. Yeah. Well, when do you think the release date for that's going to come out? Oh, like 2025, okay. you know. <laughs> I'm guessing 2019. Okay, yeah. considering the fact that when he was on stage uh, during PSX, that hap- also happened, uh, uh, there's nothing really of note, so I don't think we're really going to discuss it this podcast, but um, when he was on stage talking with uh, the CEO of Sony, uh, and all they did was talk about their drinking stories and how they yeah. met, yeah. it's just like, oh, this is this is going to be a, a wonderful, wonderful scene. And uh, yeah. we're never going to see this game, but all I really want is an entire game of a flying fire whale from... Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Um, Metal Gear Solid yeah. 5 reference. So, uh, and you guys, so you, uh, you guys saw that, that 13 second from software. Short. It's probably Bloodborne, whatever. Uh, Bloodborne. I don't think it is. I thought it was at first. What do you think of that? Uh, people are speculating that it could be a Tenchu game, which was... No uh, one cares about Tenchu. Yeah, but from software is going to reboot anything. They might as well reboot that. I guess they could make it a Dark Souls-like easily. Yeah, Yeah, they could make it Dark Souls-like. They could go some other direction for it. Ninja's Dark Souls? Yeah, honestly, you could just show a black screen for those, like, you could have shown a black screen for 25 seconds and then from software would have appeared and then people still would have lost their minds. Yes. And people would have still been speculating, this is Bloodborne (gasps) 2. This is a new Demon Souls. They literally could put, you died, and then just had the name from software, like, oh, (laughs) Yeah, that's Something. <laughs> Every game they made in the last like ten years. I want like from software to go to like licensed properties. Like I want someone I want someone to put like a trailer up for say like a new I don't know, like an Avengers yeah. game and then from software appears on it and people go, What? Yeah. No. <laughs> I could I could see them rebooting something. I also could see them just going straight up the um Bloodborne 2 route. Yeah. yeah. But I, if it was Bloodborne 2, it would have been at the Sony conference because Bloodborne 2, Bloodborne is a Sony property. Yeah. But I don't know. We'll mm. see. There were no platforms attached to it. So. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. That was exciting. Demon Souls. It's another Demon <laughs> Souls. Yeah. With the first one shutting down online in like well, there you, two months. Perfect timing. A reboot of Demon Souls. <laughs> the day after Demon Souls server <laughs> shut down, Demon Souls 2 comes out. Yeah. It's the exact same as the original Demon Souls, except you have to pay to get online access. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how you know it's good. Um, we also saw a little bit of uh, the uh, new DLC for uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Sure, why not? Yeah, the DLC in- has been the most average, never needed to be a thing uh, DLC in yeah. existence right yeah. now. Yeah. Added, the first one added pretty much nothing to it. The second one looks to have added almost nothing yeah. to it. Beyond a motorcycle, which I think is yeah, dope. Motorcycle's always dope. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Link oh. is, I know, extra cool because of that motorcycle. Soul, Soul Calibur. Soul sure. Calibur 6. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, a lot be... of people are excited about this, but... It is a reboot of the first one, so I mean... Sure. I mean, the la- the latter two Soul Calibers weren't particularly good, so... I, neither was the first one, if you go back and play it. Uh... I don't know, man. I, 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 I'm going to go out on a limb here, and looking at the footage, it didn't look so great. Like, yeah. We're in the heyday of fighting game yeah. like reboots and like sequels right now. Yeah. So having a Soul Caliber coming out is 
pretty appropriate at yeah, this juncture. Sure, why not? I mean, I, I'd really, I'd like to see more than just the trailer. I, mm. I'd like to see a little bit more when the, more of that comes out. Right. Yeah, stay um, tuned for E3 when we'll get our next trailer. Exactly. Oh, we'll get it before that. Come on now. <laughs> Gameplay uh. trailers once a month. That's really pretty much what's going to happen. <laughs> um, anything else I'm missing? What am I? Uh, those are the big things. Those, those are the big, big ones. ones. Yeah. I will make a note because I did say there wasn't much that came out of PSX. Uh, there was one announcement of a suggestion of a reboot of medieval oh no they medieval. are reboot medieval yeah the medieval? Medieval. remaster medieval. medieval 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 we'll argue about the pronunciation later but yeah, yeah. there's a remat uh there's a remake for it coming yeah. Out. yeah i think it's a remake more than a remaster i don't care like at all that game was neat at the time everyone's looking through nostalgia goggles thinking it's probably end up buying it because i can barely remember anything of the first one it was, was it a psp game no, no, it was PS. No, it was PS One. And then they had a PSP game. They had the PSP version. Yeah, was there a sequel on PS One? They might have been Medieval Two or something. No, definitely wasn't. Well, I think there was Medieval Two. I don't know. It was fine. It was just kind of fine. Yeah, fine. It wasn't a great game, but it was a game. It was like the Crash Bandicoot genre, like range of games that were just kind of look at the time they were revolutionary. But looking them back in the now, the mechanics do not age well. Oh, hey, Crash Bandicoot came back and like its mechanics. Yeah, decent job. Yeah. It was fine. Again, another thing that's just kind of fine. Yeah, and it seemed to be like the audience reception to that too, because like he he did okay, so he did the the shirt reveal that he's known for every year. That's how he did the Crash yeah, Bandicoot yeah. thing last year. So he showed off the um, who's the main character? Of the movie? I don't know, the Skull the, Dude. I don't the, know. The skull. I, he has I was a name. Six when it came out. Yeah, I, I, I just <laughs> played it when it came out, and that's like twenty years ago now, so I don't care. Well, but anyway, it was on his T-shirt, and the crowd response was like. And then he said what it was. Like, oh, okay. That game. That game. It was, I mean, there was, there was clear response to some people, but there was also like, all right, (laughs) kind of thing. Ah, but we'll see. We'll see what that is. I know we have some writers who are very excited about it right now. So, uh, cool for them that that's a thing coming out. All right. Next up on the docket. Uh, so Brendan, you were at MIGS this week. Yeah, I was. I'm still looking at what the main character of Medieval is Oh, is it really bothering you that much? Yes. Okay. So anyway, Uh, Migs, Preston, (laughs) for those of you who don't know, is uh, the Montreal International Game Summit. And it's just a a convention where um, people of the industry come together. Um, They're uh, showcasing new games. They have industry leaders talking. Um, We had some talks by uh, Minority Media. We had talks by uh, Studio uh, MD... Wait, MDHS? M- yeah. We had Cuphead Studio. I can't remember. Well, all of a sudden, I can write it a million times, but I can't say it in my head. Um, anyway, so uh, we had them. They were having a talk. Ubisoft was there with a very pronounced, uh, because again, it's in Montreal. Ubisoft had a very uh, pronounced uh, presence, and as well as WB and EA. Square Enix show up? Oh, Square Enix Dan. was there. Dan. The main character is Dan. <laughs> Dan. Yeah. <laughs> The great PlayStation heroes. The great... Nathan Drake, Crash Bandicoot, and Dan. <laughs> Dead Man Dan. That's really? Yeah. Dead Man Dan. Amazing. Okay. And... I've never known his name until now. Yeah, now you do. Um, it's, and your life like is I less. Need to, yeah. to know that. Yeah, no one My life is forever changed. No, that, that didn't help anything. No. Well, uh, Kind of gonna take you announcing that Dan as my new ringtone. Uh, yeah, Studio uh, MDHR. That's what MDHR. Okay. MDHR. See, uh, whatever. We're all over the place. Um, they were. They had talks. Uh, leaders from Ubisoft had talks. It was pretty 
Um, it was a fascinating experience just to hear these industry leaders talking mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, what, what they think is going to be the next evolution in games, um, where they see the industry going. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there was a lot of talk of VR because people are very interested in seeing VR move beyond just a consumer product because they realize, I think they're realizing that it's not a successful consumer product. So we're it's just an expensive consumer product, yeah. much like when it first launched when in it, the 90s. It, yeah. When it costs $500 yeah. and a moderately powerful PC to yeah. run, then, yeah, not many people are going to be buying it. But, it, I mean, PlayStation VR has, like, the built-in, like, PlayStation capabilities, and it's significantly cheaper. But it's still, like, 500 bucks. Yeah. It's not cheap. I thought it was, oh, yeah. I don't know. You I mean, if you buy the full set. get it cheaper. You might be able to find it I think it, it was cheaper. on sale for like 200 bucks this week. At really? A point. 200 bucks US, not, okay. not Canadian. That, that, that yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they're, so they're, I guess industry, a lot of a lot of people, players in the industry are seeing seeing that as a, a thing to move away from. So there's they were talking talk of uh, interesting ways of getting around that mm-hmm. in terms of building uh, amusement areas for VR and stuff like that. I think it makes sense but in amusement. That wasn't like, the predominant focus of no, the no. conference, but it was just something I picked out that sounded kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, Brendan, you did a lot of talks with a, a, a lot of the these industry. But a lot of things I can't talk about yet. No, but you can talk about like what your impressions are and oh, the industry. I, yeah. it, 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 a lot of just like it's it's kind of an interesting time for the industry because it's not much is happening because the consoles are already out. The Xbox One X, the PS4 Pro are there. PC space hasn't really changed in a while, so everyone just just kind of planning for the future, but kind of not, biding their time. Not sure thing. what the future will hold. Yeah, exactly. No one really is really sure if there's a new console on the way or. Like, 2020 maybe yeah i mean because the ps4 pro and the xbox one x just launched so and and even then no one really knows if 4k is the really the future right now because you know not everyone has 4k tv yet i had just had some i had some talks with some people and like their people are thinking beyond like the the leaders i was talking to were thinking well beyond uh 4k they're talking 8k and 10k i had that one interesting conversation which was kind of i mean it's really great that people are thinking about this Yeah, yeah um I, I don't know, like, again, this is all just talk and people kind of getting mm-hmm. excited. That's one thing I like to see, that there are still people in the industry who are extremely motivated about pushing it forward as opposed to just, like, staying with the status quo. But there is something to be said about, you know, refining a process. So, I don't know. But uh, but it was really it was really fascinating to hear some of these people talk and, and see where their minds are and where they're going from there. Um, anything yeah. else you want Man, that's it, it's 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 a good event, but it, it is very industry focused. So yeah. there's no real announcements out of it. You're not going to see any major re- reveals. You might find a little bit of interesting tech information, things like that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of what I I got out of it was the industry is kind of moving forward, and it's a very profitable industry, and it's kind of kind of uh, solidifying itself and becoming a lot more stable as an industry moving forward. Especially because the focus is a lot on, obviously, yeah. because it's based out of Montreal, it's focused on Canadian yeah. uh, industry players. And uh, it's, it's really good to see uh, the amount of support that is being mm-hmm. offered, especially in Quebec. Uh, I think Ontario still needs to work on that, but I know there's a number of things that are in place right now to support uh, people in the tech, yeah. in this tech industry. Um, but uh, to see that support and to see how... Uh, uh, the industry itself is supporting each other mm-hmm. to promote each other, to build off of each other, share ideas, like that kind of thing. So it's that. I mean, it's a it's a really interesting experience from like uh, an outsider's perspective to kind of see that sort of thing. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Anyway, 
Uh, anything else we want to talk about before we take a break, guys? Let's take a break. All right, well, let's take a break. Here from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. I'll get a drink. We'll be right back. Man, I wish I could get new comics every month, but I'm broke and oddly always $5 short. Lame. Wait, five bucks short, you say? Well, I've got something special for you. What the hell was that? It's me, the discount ghost of Coupons Past. Are you scared? What the f- Use the code CGMEG in all caps, all one word, to get $5 off your next comic bento subscription. So wait, if I use the code CGMEG, all in caps, all one word, I get $5 off my next comic bento? Yes, use the code CGMEG in all caps, all one word, and get $5 off your next comic bento. A whole $5, eh? Now that's scary. The Pixels and Ink podcast is brought to you by Buns, your city network. Buns connects you to the people in your neighborhood to help you find the things you need to fuel your real life. Swap things you already have to get items you need. You can also find jobs that pay the bills, homes for rent, advice, and a place to talk about your city. Buns is available online at buns.com and on your phones via the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. And we're back. Thanks to our sponsors for continuing to support Pixels and Ink podcast. And uh, look, it's a wild Phil Brown to talk about some movie news. How's it going, Phil? Hey, good. You? Um, I'm fabulous. It's oh, wonderful. It's exciting. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Yes. Yeah. Frosty cold. Lovely, lovely. So anyway, what's cool and happening in the, the world of entertainment? Right, right, right. Well, um, there's one giant story that sort of towers above everything else, and then a few smaller things we're talking about. So the big one is, of course, we've talked about the la- this the last few weeks because it was, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, constantly moving towards reality. But as of, uh, well, yesterday, not today, um, the, uh, yeah. This is live, people. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, Disney has officially purchased uh, 21st Century Fox for sixty-six mm-hmm. billion dollars, um, which is a hefty sale. Um, that's so a it's, big, that's a big amount of money. It that's is a big yeah, amount of money for sure. So for that money, they own the studio, they own all the properties that Fox has rights to, including uh, most obviously the uh, the few X-Men. remaining threads of Star Wars. The X Men, Deadpool, Fantastic Four, all the all the Marvel material that Marvel Studios doesn't have, and also um, one thing that no one talks about in this because no one's quite sure if this is still a viable franchise. But Disney now owns Avatar as well, which oh yeah, you know yeah, which you know I mean it it's entirely possible that people will still love Avatar again when it comes out, so that could be good. But Disney's also very very strong on the purse string, so I could see. So uh, yeah, there may uh, like. Do you think that'll affect? That'll definitely affect the number of uh, sequels he's intending to produce. Oh God, no! I mean, don't forget, Disney World just built an Avatar land. They very much. They very much have a vested interest in Avatar being a a property that continues to thrive. So I Mm. think I think this was always part of it um, because I'd imagine. just to get this Avatar land together, Disney had to fork over a lot of money to Fox, probably True. in perpetuity. Now they don't have to. So I think that's probably, I, I, I think, yeah, like Star Wars and Marvel is so obviously a centerpiece to this. I think people are sort of forgetting the Avatar thing. And, mm. you know, understandably so. 
even though it's we're talking about the like most successful movie ever made technically it's really hard to find people that are actually fans of it anymore yeah. so yeah. it's it's a complicated issue but anyway yeah that's all happening um <clears throat> you know uh and, and also um it is worth noting that while this is a blanket sale of fox and they have all the library titles and Fox Searchlight, their sort of uh, like uh, drama, mid-range budget drama art film indie lo- logo. Um, they do not have uh, any of the television properties. Um, because but they got FX. They do. Oh, did they get FX out of that? Oh, that's funny. I, th- I thought so. Give me a... Well, it, it's, entirely, it's entirely possible. My understanding was the issue was that they could not have... Uh, Fox News or... Oh, no, I can't get Fox News, but I think they got... Uh, one second here. I'm looking over the story. It's entirely possible they could have FX. The issue is they couldn't have Fox News or the Fox Network because that would be tantamount to having a monopoly since Disney already has fingers in those pies. Um, right. Even though the fact that they, you know, reduce the number of Hollywood studios significantly does not qualify as a monopoly. So figure out what that means. But um, the uh, but yeah, but yeah, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they could get FX. That makes sense. Okay, um, okay. But... So the only thing they will not be getting mm-hmm. is Fox News, Fox mm-hmm. Business News, FS1, FS2, Big Ten Network will be, they will be um, merged off into their own separate division. That's right. Be, a new company will be built for those companies. Absolutely. And they will also have to be retitled. They will no longer allow it to be called Fox News. So that'll oh, be interesting. Oh, that's going to be so weird. That'll be interesting. I, I'm assuming, given the nature of that network right now and their relationship with the current presidential administration, they'll be called something like Real News. I can yeah. see that. <laughs> I think I think we're going to get something really obnoxious like that. I think it just makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. But uh Anyway, it's a strange thing. A lot of people have been talking about this as being an end of times type thing. I don't really view it that way. I think the I, I think part while like certainly securing these properties and being able to have uh, X Men and more importantly like all the villains from the X Men and Fantastic Four universe, which make up the most interesting Marvel villains, because mm-hmm. yeah. um, like to be able to have a Doctor Doom or a Galactus, that's actually a big deal. Like they've been. They, like that's been sort of the struggle with the MCU so far is the villains have sucked almost universally. So yeah. that's that's that'll be huge for them. <laughs> uh, but anywho, um, I, the other I, I do think that they likely intend to keep 20th Century Fox as its own entity going. Um, Disney um, in the past. Uh, OK, had, I, I've gone over this. Yeah. Um, just okay. kind of clarify. So. Fox will so uh, Disney's getting uh, the thirty percent share that Fox has in Hulu. So Disney's getting that. Oh they wow! Keeping that running, and they will be using the Hulu service to kind of stream everything that doesn't fit the main Disney brands. So everything FX, FFX, and that sort of stuff will be on Hulu rather than the Disney branded streaming services that they're building. Right, so right, right. They will okay. be getting the FX properties, but they will be keeping them separate from their main Disney brand. Well, that makes sense. And I do think that that's and that's actually along the lines of what I was uh, going off a track discussing before, which is that I don't think this means the end of 20th Century Fox or 21st Century Fox, I guess they call it now for obvious reasons. Um, that I, I don't think it may, means the end of that by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. I think Disney intends to keep that going because Disney is very smart with their brand. They don't really do um, dramas or or anything that could be construed as non-family friendly under right. the Disney brand. Yeah. Whereas now, even though they, you know, even though today we all know they own Fox, 
in a few years, the average person going to theaters since the Fox logo will have no idea it's a Disney movie mm-hmm. and they'll be able to make what they want or whatever they want. And Disney's done this before. Like they created Touchstone and Vienna Vista specifically so that they could make um, movies that don't fit under the Disney banner. So stuff like um, The Prestige or The Sixth Sense or even for a while they own Miramax. So like technically Kill Bill is a Disney movie. That's to give so you an weird. idea of what this could be, right? Yeah. So Disney financed that. There's a reason why Kill Bill had so much merchandising one doesn't normally expect from that sort of movie. It's because mm. they had access to the Disney merchandising wing. Um, so yeah, so I I don't so it's it's it, it is obviously worrying in terms of like a monopolistic business sense, but at the same yeah, time, yeah. I think it's actually the best thing that happened for Fox. Fox has had issues sort of. Um, finding ways to dis- to divide their money between tentpole stuff like the X-Men movies or the Planet of the Apes movies and then funding the certain movies that they, um, the studio likes to, the more prestige movies they like yeah. to release as a studio. I feel like this Disney deal will actually be super beneficial for that. I think it's also, um, be- and then the- yeah, continue, sorry. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other thing was that um, obviously uh, people are, con- com- for comic book ba- uh, movie fans, people are concerned that Fox is, through Deadpool and Logan gotten into making R rated uh, adult oriented superhero movies for the first time. And there's concern that Disney wouldn't have an interest in that. But again, I really don't, I, I, I think that's part of their interest in doing this is that now that they can like, number one, they bought Deadpool two as part of this. It's not like they're going to not release Deadpool two. Right, right. Yeah. A Disney movie. Now that's very much going to happen. And as long as those movies are successful, I don't think Disney would have a problem putting out superhero movies under the Fox brand or the NAR rating. In fact, it's entirely possible that other Marvel characters um, not part of the X-Men universe could now get their own adult-oriented comic book movies, provided those continue to be profitable. Yeah, so I do want to mention the fact that it is interesting to see because Disney has such a, a, a sheen to the, mar- the movies they produce in the superhero genre. One mm-hmm. sheen that has been lacking from a lot of Fox's movies, Fox's movies of the superhero movies have kind of a discount feel to them in a weird way. Like, mm-hmm. you look at them comparatively, like a, a Disney movie, the uh, Marvel main cinematic universe compared to the Fox cinematic universe, they feel a little cheaper, a little bit more budget, a little bit, they've cut corners in certain areas. I feel mm-hmm. that this merger will ensure that Disney and the Marvel brand in general ensure all movies that have a Marvel name to it have a certain quality. It might be R-rated, mm-hmm. it might not be R-rated, but they don't feel cheap that some of the mm-hmm. movies have felt in the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they've also been haphazard depending on who's running the oh, Marvel yeah. division at the time. Like the last few years, we've gotten really good Fox movies um, because uh, uh, Mark Millar and Matthew Vaughn have essentially been running that. Now having Kevin Feige in charge, I think he's obviously very good at what he does. And I think mm-hmm. he's not an idiot. Like He recognizes it's not a good idea to suddenly make uh, Deadpool kid friendly. No. That's not why that franchise is successful. So, um, I mean, again, this is all a wait and see thing. Oh, yeah. It could very much be worst case scenario, but I do think that this actually, it's easy to be reactionary about this, but I do actually think this is not a bad idea because, uh, as I said before, like Fox, because of all the various tendrils they've had, have had issues um, with their bottom line in recent years. And this mm-hmm. kind of removes those and gives them a safety net. Um, and yeah, hopefully that's where it goes. But we'll see. Regardless, it's nuts 
And yeah. um, and it also means that whenever Disney does launch their uh, Netflix equivalent program, yeah. they now have not only the entire Disney archives, but the entire Fox archives. Massive selection of movies. Absolutely. That leads to that's everything from the Die Hard movies to the Planet of the Apes movies, like Cleopatra, um, you know, everything. Yeah. Going back to like, you know, the day the earth stood still or old Mm -hmm. silent movies. So Mm -hmm. it'll be um, that all of a sudden went from being a very specifically niche family streaming service to and actually like one of the more interesting um, archival film most interesting. Well, yeah, the, well, sure. with all those titles, like they won't have to worry about. Well, you won't have like Netflix and things like that. We won't have to worry about all of a sudden losing certain titles because they lost the licensing over it. Yeah, like that for sure. Yeah, yeah. and I'll, and also like you know, don't be surprised if like I don't think Disney's going to buy Paramount or anything like that. But it would be very easy for for them to get the licensing. Oh, absolutely. Or the entire Paramount library to add to the, oh, yeah. to that, the entire MGM library to add to that. It could end up being a, you know, a streaming service for film nerds as much as it is but for would that, little children. No, but would that, if Disney does it right, would that make the proposition and value add for Netflix seem far and far less useful? I think so. Yeah. And I think and I, and and I also think that Netflix is not unaware of this. I think there's a reason they've been going out of their way to produce as much of their own content as possible. Yeah. I think they're going to see their um their 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 movie library depleted quickly. And you know, quite frankly, like they have no real interest in in keeping film history or classic no, they don't care. in a way that an that an empire like Disney would so yeah, Disney wants um, that vault to be constantly churning through movies so people can constantly see oh I love that classic that I just saw on the Disney streaming service oh there's a new movie Beauty and the Beast I want to see that now yeah 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 absolutely and um, oh and I also just realized just thinking aloud going through this uh, Home Alone's a Disney movie now oh, too God. which it kind of always was so yeah so it'll be yeah it'll be interesting to see where it goes it's yeah it's a very very strange thing there's definitely been nothing like this has ever happened before um but i can see all the sides in which it's it's both a good smart business decision and something that for consumers can end up being quite valuable as well yeah Yeah. i'm skeptical on a lot of these big mergers but i feel that this one actually does add something for the consumer it does yeah, was give a, a more clear picture of what cinema history is. I mean, I don't, I'm not a mm-hmm. lover of Disney, but they mm-hmm. know how to treat their properties. They know how to treat everything they produce with a, a sense of reverence. Yeah, and actually, yeah. I just want to go back, like when you were talking about the the R-rated movies, and as long as they're financial and viable, they'll still keep going with that that Marvel R-rated movie kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think one of my biggest concerns with the direction that Fox was originally taking with like the Deadpool two mm-hmm. and like the uh, success of Logan is that they a, a lot of people may interpret that decision as like okay now R-rated movies are great and so now we're just going to make R-rated movie uh, R-rated comic movies for the sake of making them R-rated and that may end up losing a lot of the essence which I know Disney having their hand in that will be able to kind of finesse so that it's not just R-rated for the sake of R-rating right so having all that would be kind of interesting yeah we're mostly positive yeah. on this, weirdly enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, re- I really am. I, I, I feel very much like the only person who is at the moment. Everyone, it's all doom and gloom right now. But I do, um, yeah, I have a wait and see approach. I mean, like, I certainly like understand the vast, the 
you know, overwhelming negative reaction to this and, and can see how it could be bad. But ultimately, I do think that there's, um, I don't know. I think that there's there's a potential here that people are ignoring. And, yeah, uh, I, I, we'll I very much agree going. with you, Phil. I mean, like, it's easy to see, like, the negative side of this all. Mm. But Disney knows how to run properties. It knows how to treat all its properties well. And it knows how to mm. kind of keep people looking at old, these old reverential films. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to charge oh, for that. They're going to make sure you pay through the nose for that streaming service. But yeah, yeah. you're going to be if yeah. you get that streaming service, you'll get a value in that streaming service for sure. And and they've been preparing for this for a while. I noticed just um, because I do still collect Blu-rays, um, I have noticed that over the last couple of years, it became very very difficult aside from like ordering off, off Amazon or mm-hmm. or uh, or sites like that to find physical copies of um Vienna Vista and Touchstone titles. Oh, really? Um, and that was yeah, and that was clearly because Disney wanted to create much like how they put Pinocchio in the vault every yeah. 5 years and make and create false scarcity. They've been doing that with those titles. Mm-hmm. And um it's that's probably going to happen with Fox now. I'd imagine um, you know, it's going to suddenly be be no, won't be as easy to find uh old Planet of the Apes movies or mm-hmm. or or diehard box sets or what have you. But, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think they know what they're doing. Oh yeah. And, uh, it's going to be, uh, it'll be interesting. And who knows, like it could end up being, it could end up being two services or two services that operate simultaneously. There could be like, you know, you log into whatever the, the Disney streaming services and there's a child protected one. That's all Pixar and star Wars movies. And, uh, one that isn't child protected. Well, as, as I said, Phil, they, it seems like what they've announced, uh, according to the AV Club, mm-hmm. is it'll include all of like the anything adult oriented will be on Hulu, and anything mm-hmm. that they consider would be kid friendly or general general like family viewing will be mm-hmm. within the Disney service. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Hulu already is all set up, but Hulu is mostly television now. Well, Hulu also control so. Disney right now has 30% stake in it. Fox has 30% yeah. stake. So at the end of this deal, Disney, Disney will have 60% stake in Hulu. So basically they control it. Gotcha. Okay. So that be, makes more so, sense. So that will be their adult-oriented so FX shows, adult-oriented shows like Sons of Anarchy, things like that. Yeah, and then, and then if, if that becomes and then if that becomes film-oriented as well, that means they'll have the entire Fox archive, the entire archive of all the um uh, touchstone Vienna Vista and universal studios yeah and so it's almost everything and i can see them changing how hulu functions because hulu right now is a mess and i can see with a 60 percent stake disney could step in there and make sure that thing functions properly for sure and then it's a lot easier to sell people on hulu with all these new uh attractions versus exactly. a new streaming service exactly. okay yeah. Intriguing. Yeah. Could or be interesting. All right. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Or Amazon and their streaming service. Know, right? No one cares about that. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right. So next up. Um uh, again, uh these star uh, uh, another story that sort of builds on what we talked about last week. Um get the Golden Globe nominations came out this week and Get Out was indeed nominated for Best Comedy, which is um you so know weird. It's, what? It's nice it's nice to see a horror movie like Get Out involved in awards in general. It's really a shame that it's been uh, you know, for lack of a better term, segregated to the comedy category. Like the movie is a satire. I see where they're coming from, but it just feels like it really belittles the accomplishment of so it has, to reduce it entirely to that. Has Jordan Peele 
like uh, made a statement about it yet? Like his feelings? Um, He hasn't done anything new. I mean, he's been pretty clear from the moment this was announced that that's how the nomination was going to go. So, um, I mean, I think it would be more of a controversy were not for the fact that everyone kind of knows the Golden Globes are one big joke. So no one really cares that much. But I'd imagine like on the night of the show, there will be plenty of if he wins, there will be everything for us to follow. Oh yeah, if he wins, he'll say something. What's yeah. he care, really? You know. Um, but uh, so anyway, that happened. And then another story. Uh, the next story also uh, builds on something that last week. Last week we talked a lot about Quentin Tarantino's uh, uh, Star Trek movie that yeah. is currently in development. That's going to be R-rated. And this week, uh, Patrick Stewart um, in and some, an interview he was giving mentioned that. He had made it very, very clear for years he had no desire to play Jean-Luc Picard again until now when he's because he said he'd always wanted to work with Quentin Tarantino. And if Quentin wanted to put Jean-Luc Picard in the movie, he would be more than happy to play. Oh, that'd be that would be neat. Throwing money at things. okay? (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there? Can I? If I throw it at this computer screen, will that movie happen? I I want that. (laughs) I know. We could really hope so. I mean, certainly, like they 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 have to be getting the most attention for any Star Trek movie since it was announced that they were going to reboot the Star Trek franchise. So, provided unless like this idea is a total mess in practice, I find it hard to believe it won't happen. Whether Mm -hmm. or not Quentin Tarantino ends up directing it, I mean that. Who knows? That's that's years down the line from now. Oh yeah. yeah. But um, it it given all the attention, the amount of money they would throw at him to do it, the fact that he would actually get freedom and would have, uh, you know, J.J. Uh, Abrams and Bad Robot behind him to help him put together uh, contemporary special effects on a level that he's not generally used in the past. Um, that's all very possible. And you know, the only like possible. Uh, detour he might have going up against studio making a uh, blockbuster like this would be that he would insist upon shooting it on film and using as many old-fashioned techniques as possible, which some studios may balk against, but with Bad Robot, I mean, J.J. Abrams has already been doing that with his blockbuster, so he'd be yeah. a safe place to do that as well. So, I'd be down for um, Yeah, so, yeah, I, um, you know, whether or not it happens, who knows? I mean, like, there's certainly there's already a gigantic ensemble cast required to be in <laughs> the next Star Trek movie and adding John Luc Picard might be something that doesn't fit with the concept but it boy it sure would be exciting to see um Patrick Stewart not only revive that character but get to do it with uh yeah filthy very pop culture savvy dialogue for Quentin Tarantino that'd be that'd be special stuff yeah well, that, that's extremely exciting it needs to happen now <laughs> god willing god willing <laughs> Yeah, um, younger though, so it has to happen soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The same age for like thirty years. It doesn't matter. <laughs> he, he always looks it's young true. and attractive, and that's it. Sorry, sorry. It's I'm true. As long as long as Patrick Stewart is conscious, yes. he can play the role. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, and also I'd imagine part of the reason why they have a writing team working on it rather than waiting for Tarantino to finish up his current movie is they want to make sure they can move forward with this regardless of what Tarantino's ultimate involvement ends up being. Yep. So I think even just, even if Tarantino doesn't end up to directing and it's just the concept, they can still put his name on the script and that would be enough to get oh, yeah. Patrick Stewart involved. So yeah, we'll see. All right. Um, and uh, next up, I'm going to skip that story. Last story. Um, while we're talking about projects that we're uh, moving on from a project that we're actually excited about to ones that are not exciting. Um, 
uh, Netflix has announced a couple new projects that they're developing. Uh, the first is that, uh, do you remember that movie Boss Baby that came out this year? Yeah, that was yeah. awful. Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So that's going to be a TV series now. Great. You can look forward to that. I don't, yeah. how, keep, how do you do that? Why would you need that? Why does this thing need to happen? It's, uh, you know, I think a combination of the movie may, it came out at a slow time of year and made a lot of money. And also there were so many snide, sarcastic memes involved. Uh, dismissing Boss Baby amongst yeah. the audience, the demographic who hate it, who would never go see a movie called Box, Boss Baby. There's probably um, some sort of, you know, argument to be made by the advertisers of, of uh, Netflix that they will get an unbelievable amount of attention for, for, for making a Boss Baby TV series, even though no one actually wants it. That's so. super dumb. Yay! Cool. And also, Netflix is planning on bringing back She-Ra, yeah, um, sure. Yeah, yeah. Is it a remake now, or? I guess. I guess it'll be its own series. I mean, it's weird that it's She-Ra, not He-Man. I understand why, because obviously there's no. a huge well, push they... for female uh, superheroes these days, and, and, and She-Ra is one. Mm-hmm. But I just, yeah, like, well, why? Why are he- we doing But wasn't He-Man already, like, brought back as just a syndicated show on Netflix just, like, a year or something ago? And then it didn't last oh. very long? Oh really? I didn't even notice. I don't think I'm that. I don't. Not a hundred percent sure on that. One. I know they brought it back in like early two thousands or mid two thousands. Then that lasted for like one season, and then they gave up. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't even. I know have they no did concept that. of time. I have guys, no concept so. of he okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's um. Yeah, like yeah. He man's one of those weird things where like it's iconic, but it's like exclusively nostalgia that makes it iconic. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. there's there's no there's no if you actually sat down and tried to watch. Oh, I know. Anything they, Masters of the Universe related, it is hot garbage. I know they did it. I did what I. They did actually bring Thundercats, and that like, it was on for such a short period of time. Of course, we all had to go watch it, and it just like you realize all these shows are like pure nostalgia. Like they do not hold up. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and He Man and Thundercats in particular. Yeah, they they were created to sell toys. They like there was no great mastermind behind He Man. Oh, exactly. It was it was it was Mattel. Yeah. had all these toys and they were like you know we can launch these better if we have an animated series so they sent all the toys to a company and we're like figure it out make and it that's cheap how we got he-man do it as cheap as possible yeah. that's how we got he-man and that's how we got thundercats that's how we got transformers transformers it's, that was entirely and, and, and he- <laughs> for that reason oh yeah and he-man's the, the most egregious of all of them because it wasn't even like, because at least with Transformers, at some point, some toy company manufacturer came up with a cool idea for a toy yeah. that they turned into a universe. With He-Man, the only reason He-Man exists is that Mattel made a bunch of Conan the Barbarian action figures and then saw the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie and realized this is vastly inappropriate to market to children <laughs> and, and did a quick redesign and called him He-Man. Yeah. Wow. I did not yeah. know that. That's that's why He Man's a thing. So that's amazing. It, so yeah, there's now, not. So what is is Shira? What? So hold on, hold on. Going by that logic, is Shira then? Uh, what's Red Red Sonya? No. Oh, she was... I, 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 I guess kind of. Yeah, she's yeah. kind of Red Sonya, isn't she? I guess, yeah. Yeah, but um, okay. Yeah. So that's going to be a thing. Do we yeah. know if it's animated or live action? Um, I mean, it's got to be animated. It has yeah? to be. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, like it was announced along with Boss Boss Baby, which is also animated, so it must have been like their new animation division that they're working. That's fair. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. Voltron didn't turn out that bad. It's fine. It's okay. It's fine. So maybe mm-hmm. this will be okay. It's going to be fine. Who knows? Brendan's Brendan's in shock. He's kind of rocking back and forth in the fetal position. I don't know. Mm-hmm. This might be a little too much for him. So let's take. Uh, is, are, are we good for uh, news? Yeah, we just. Yeah, we, why don't we just go for, just yeah. power through? Pardon? So we can power through the films if you want. Do you want to power through the films? Yeah. Sure. Right. I only have one to talk about this week. Okay. Uh, yeah, and and it's a big one. So you went to go see the Last Jedi. I did. I did. After yeah. all the hype and secrecy, I was allowed in. Um, Disney had made a life-size pork cake that they chopped chunks out of and fed us with at nine in the morning. That's so amazing. That was interesting. <laughs> um, and. Uh, yeah, I saw it. I really, really liked it. It's obviously very hard to discuss because um, even more so than The Force Awakens, they've done a really, really good job of, of, of essentially, aside from you knowing it's the follow-up to The uh, the Force Awakens, you, we know we knew nothing about what actually would happen in the movie. Yeah. So I, I do kind of want to respect that because it was nice to, you know, see the Star Wars crawl and be like, I don't know what's coming next. Because even with Rogue One, which I enjoyed, um, as soon as that started, I was like, I got a pretty good feeling they're going to take these Death Star plans and die. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, so this one, uh, yeah. So anyway, um, well, what are very, we, very. We could do like maybe a uh, a quick section for those who haven't seen it yet. Maybe a spoiler section for those who want to kind of decompose what they've seen. Do you want to do that? Um, yeah, we could. I don't want to give away too much. Let's let's. Hey, why, 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 why don't we do this? Okay. Why don't we do this? I'll talk about. Uh, I'll I'll do a, a just sort of general terms review, and then when it's done, we can have a spoiler section when you guys can ask me whatever you want about the movie, and I'll say it. All right. All right, that sounds great. I love it. Okay, Let's so do that. and then I'll leave it in your hands what you want to spoil. Amazing. Okay, so this they is can blame me, and they can, and the, our listeners can, can finally blame you for once uh, and not me. You can, nice. you can reach out to Brendan Fry at contest at, contact us at Eat CG Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> I just right, gave out so the wrong all, email. Okay, go. <laughs> so yeah, first of all, in broad terms, um, yeah. So this is uh it's obviously the fall of the force awakens it's also the you know deliberately designed to be the the middle chapter in an overarching trilogy mm-hmm. um it's the empire strikes back slot and um that's exciting obviously for star wars yeah. fans given that um the empire strikes back has sort of over time grown an estimation to be the most beloved star wars movie and it also is <clears throat> you know in as much as Star Wars movies, especially within the context of these uh, grand overarching trilogies, are, uh, you know, very, very traditionally told stories that, like, even if you can't necessarily, even if there are surprises warrant into the plot, the general structure, you know what's going to happen. You know, we're going to meet our heroes the first time, the second time things are going to get complicated and, and things will go poorly for our heroes and then eventually everything will come together and we'll win in the finale. So... The big, having the the second slot in the trilogy is, is the most um, uh, it offers the most freedom for filmmakers. Um, it gives because essentially what you do is you take something that people love, you mess with it as much as possible, subvert as many expectations as possible, and best of all. Um, you don't even have to clean up any of the messes. You just leave that for the person in charge of the third movie to, to worry about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, that's very much what they did here. Uh, the smart, the, the 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 best decision they made um, was hiring Ryan Johnson to write and direct this. Ryan Johnson uh, is best known for Looper, 
as uh, is um, a very very smart, clever, twisted uh, time travel action movie with Bruce Willis and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He also made some indie movies before that, like Brick, which is a film noir set in a high school, and The Brothers Bloom, which is uh, sort of like a, uh, uh, a a con man heist movie as done by Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. He's very much a, a movie geek and a kind of mashup artist. So he it, 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 he. It, like The Force Awakens, this is very much a very self-consciously constructed Star Wars movie. This is a Star Wars movie made by, made by someone who loves Star Wars movies, and it's making it a Star Wars movie, not just a movie. Mm. And while J.J. Uh, Abrams um, had tremendous success by essentially making a nostalgia fest that was just about um, compiling as many familiar images and places as possible and ways to make us tingle and feel, um, Ryan, Ryan Johnson is... Um, very much uh, echoing the Empire Strikes Back in so many ways, like even right down to the basic structure of the movie. Like it's just like the Empire Strikes Back, all our gang of heroes that we fell in love with last time are split apart into two separate factions, one of whom is off on a very isolated planet begging a former Jedi master to train them into becoming a Jedi. Um, The rest of the group are in a feature-length chase um, with a Star Destroyer. Um, it's it like it's it's right yeah. down to that level, and the references go deeper and deeper and deeper, and it's 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 really fun because you get that same sort of uh, tingly familiarity as last time, while at the same time, by virtue of the fact that the empire that they're playing with the Empire Strikes Back, it's much darker. Um, nothing really go nothing goes the way it's supposed to. Um, characters change dramatically. New characters come in who you can't trust. And it's done very, very carefully and very elegantly in, in really, really fascinating ways. The overall theme of the movie is about uh, letting go of the past um, very overtly. Um, it's even spoken aloud by a very specific character, a very specific time. So it's all about sort of deme- – and as much as the last movie treated the original trilogy as a legend that people were – that was repeating itself, this one demystifies the legend and goes out of its way to take assumptions that we had about where the story had to go and sort of preferred it in different ways. It's still a Star Wars movie. It's not like you come out at the end and you're like, whoa, I can't believe all those children were graphically murdered. Like it is, <laughs> yeah. it is, it is, it is very much, you know, space battles and, and swashbuckling and, and old religious lore, but just done in a very, very smart and clever way. Um, the action scenes in this are are really spectacular. There's an opening action sequence that's um, that's a, a sort of X-wing space battle that's better than than anything was in the Force Awakens, um, especially the the let's just do the Death Star again for the heck of it climax. And um, there is a use of light speed in the movie um, at one point that was something I always kind of wanted to see, but never thought I would. And it's done in a, in a way that's both incredibly beautiful and very disturbing. Um, there's some great lightsaber fights. The way that um, Ray's character arc grows is both entirely appropriate and, um, and, and in, in, in no way conforms to any of the fan theories of what, people thought would happen in both good ways and bad um the uh the um she and she's been in a very different place when it ends kylo ren is in a very very different place when it ends we finally get a sense of who snoke is but what they do with him is very very amusing both in a um sort of 
within the a sense of, of what his place is within the mythology and also sort of what his confused place was in this particular franchise. And I'll just kind of leave it at that. Um, the only pro it's, it's very funny um, and very sort of snide um, at times. It kind of is willing to sort of wink at the cliches of star Wars in really fun ways. Um, and uh, it, yeah, I, I was very, very pleased by it. If, if there is an issue in that it, this star Wars movie is, is, the last Jedi is two and a half hours long and that is very much too long and it, it drags um, and it probably could have been benefited from, from finding a way to chop it down by 20 minutes. It would have been hard to do that given the sheer volume of characters, including the new ones like Benicio del Toro plays a, a stuttering thief who's uh, very um, morally ambiguous and amusing. There's also uh, a new character um, who I could tell within a few seconds of her, of her being on screen will, will become, you know, sort of a Comic-Con iconic favorite. Um, even uh, the Porgs, while, you know, as overtly designed to be cute and cuddly and toy friendly as possible, there is one moment um, involving the Porgs and Chewbacca that is like very darkly hilarious, um, especially when you consider the fact that they, that Disney has already gone out of their way to plaster these things all over yeah. as many toys as humanly possible. Um, there's one moment where, like, I mean, it's done as a joke, and it's not too far, but if I were a child who, like, showed up to the screening clutching my stuffed porg, I might actually cry. And that that's, you know, I'll give them credit for doing that. And, um, yeah, overall, I think it's an improvement on The Force Awakens. Um, it It... It'll be interesting to see how people react to it because it's not design. It's just by design, not as um, poppy and satisfying. Like it's it's a whole it's a, a movie about sort of upending the equilibrium and putting people in a far worse place than where they began. So you don't come out with the same sort of gung ho yippy spirit. Mm -hmm. It is a bit of a downer. Yeah, and I have a feeling that just like I mean, you know, The Empire Strikes Back, we now sort of take as a given is the most beloved and best Star Wars film. But, you know, for years and years and years, it was kind of the most controversial because it just wasn't as charming and pleasing. And I do feel like there will be both uh, a lot of like a lot of people who adore this movie and a lot of people who are a little bit confused and disappointed by it. And I think it'll be beloved now, but it'll probably be loved even more um, in a few years time, especially after we see whatever they do to end this uh, series. Um, and, uh, oh yeah. And, and then I guess the, well, one, the last thing that has to be mentioned is um, Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill um, really have never been better in these movies than they are here. Um, okay. Mark Hamill in particular, uh, the fact that he, it, it just shows how much he's grown as an actor. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that he, where he is and what he does with Luke here relative to, the sort of golly gee, um, I need to go to, to pick up the power converters, uh, farm boy that where it began is a very impressive arc. And uh, it's a very cool take on the role. And um, and Carrie Fisher also gets a lot of moments to, to show uh, sort of depth to the character she wasn't able to before. It's very, very sad to think that um, no matter what they end up doing with the third movie, that obviously she won't be available. But... Um, even though this wasn't constructed to be a sort of farewell to her, it serves quite well. And um, I think that'll be something that makes Lockdown fans very emotional as well. So now that I've done a very uh, 
a a a, a positive but a consciously spoiler free review for uh the, for the people that don't want to know anything i'd like to open the floor to you guys to ask me as many questions as you want to ruin this people this movie for people who want to have it ruined. i mean after hearing what you said i mean it, it sounds like it's a movie that's best it's a discovery movie it's a movie that you finding out and seeing what new and exciting things they've taken the, the franchise is part of the mystery and part of the majesty yeah 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 well i'm just thinking for like people who've already seen it like I, I, but you I, said there was a few things that were no go ahead Ren. what do you want i my, i think is i i don't i want to give people the chance to see it before we do spoil anything so maybe if we hold off spoiling it for a week or two so we actually can allow people to kind of see the movie then jump into the podcast then kind of hear what our views are I feel if we spoil oh, of this. course we can, but we've also given a warning. Like people okay. can just jump ahead if you want to do. If you yeah. want to ruin things right now, it's totally up to you. Technology has come a long way since. Okay, yeah. what, 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 So what do you want? Like, what, what, like well, yeah, like what do well, you guys want to know? Like, I, what are the burning questions I, on yeah, your mind? Right the only thing I want to know is there's a lot of speculation about how Luke is played in this movie. Yeah, how is he played in this movie? Like, what is is Luke good? Is he evil? Is there kind of a weird gray area? What is how is Luke portrayed in this film? Okay, well, I'll tell you. I'll. Uh, there's actually a fun way for me to answer this, which I think I'll give. I'll give you the best way that sums up where Luke is at in this movie is when we finally see uh, what he does after the cliffhanger in Force Awakens. So, so when Kylo Ren climbs up the side of the mountain, finds Luke Skywalker, presents him with this lightsaber that is his yeah. father's that he's missed for years. He's been waiting for several years now to see what he does, and what Luke ultimately does is look at the lightsaber, take it into his hand, and then throw it in over his shoulder off the cliff and walk away because he doesn't want to deal with them, which <laughs> is such a great moment. And that's very much what it is, where this is a guy who um, he is like struggling with his morality and where he's not. He's not gone evil. He's also not – he's also um, kind of exhausted with what it means to be a Jedi and the nature of the Force, and he just doesn't want to be involved with any of it. He has gone out of his way to get away from everything. He's sort of like a cranky old man that can't believe he's being called in for something that he's way too old to participate in. And um, he has to be fought with and won over to even think that it's a good idea for there to be any more Jedi and for him to pass along the knowledge that only he has left. So it's a really clever um, place for it to go. It's not, he's not, he, he hasn't gone to the dark side, which would have been, an easy twist, but he's also um, very, uh, very much a reluctant hero in a way he never was at any other time in the series and did not seem like where he would end up. But at the same time, in the nature of where this universe is at now, it's the most logical place. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Well, cool. Um, you know what? I think we'll leave it at that spoiler because you did kind of talk uh, a lot about a lot of things. And now I kind of I haven't seen it yet, so I kind of want to know anymore. I gave up on. You that. don't want to have it run for you too. No, That's fair. That's fair. So we're gonna. I respect that. Yeah. So we're gonna take a break. All right. We're gonna hear from our sponsors. And uh, thanks for the movie news, Phil. And uh, yep. we'll be right back. The Pixels and Ink podcast is brought to you by Buns, your city network. Buns connects you to the people in your neighborhood to help you find the things you need to fuel your real life. Swap things you already have to get items you need. You can also find jobs that pay the bills, homes for rent, advice, and a place to talk about your city. Buns is available online at buns.com and on your phones via the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. All right, and thanks, sponsors, again, for uh, helping us with our podcast. So, uh, 
Preston, you're on today to talk about Monster Hunter World. You got to play the beta last weekend, right? Yep, I got to play the beta. It ran from the 9th to the 12th, and I played the demo. I played the demo of it originally at PAX West 2017, <laughs> and I instantly fell in love with it then. So this was just a chance for me to kill a lot more monsters and continue to fall in love with and experiment with the weapons in it. Since I've I've played Monster Hunters games for the past three years or so i it took a while for me to get into them on the 3ds mostly due to the way that it plays on the 3ds with the controller but with the controller in my hand on the ps4 it felt a lot more natural and i am really looking forward to its release next month now yeah i think it's going to be big Mm. so just first impressions what did you uh notice about in the beta like how how does the game play how does it feel um, people who have not heard of this yet, <laughs> I'm sure there's people who watch listening who uh, want to know a little bit more about it. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. Well, Monster Hunter World, um, based off the name, uh, the main goal of the game and the series as a whole is you go out, you take weapons either by yourself or with a small group of friends or other players in online matchmaking, and you hunt down and kill giant monsters. Um, then you take those monsters, you turn them into better weapons and armor, and you kill even bigger monsters <laughs> with them. And the process repeats until you kill the biggest monsters um, as if they were nothing in front of you. And I really like the series because it has a very simple gameplay loop of go out, kill, craft, go out, kill something bigger, and keep on repeating until you get better weapons and armor. And personally, I find the series much more fun to play with the controller. I found that I had a greater control with it. Um, I could pull off combos easier. I had better control of the camera. There's a lock-on mode in the new Monster Hunter, which wasn't in previous ones. I didn't use it so much because I found it a bit... Um, didn't let, uh, it didn't give me the freedom that I wanted. Mm -hmm. But I think for newcomers, it's going to be very necessary for keeping the track of the flow in combat. Kind of like how um, people use lock-on in Dark Souls games, but then eventually just stop using it yeah, in yeah. order to like properly dodge and whatnot. Um, most of my time with the beta was spent testing out the ranged weapons because for the first time in the Monster Hunter franchise, you can really move and shoot with them now. Oh, that's kind of yeah. neat. And, and move and shoot quicker. Like, in terms of the types of weapons, the bow is more of a skirmishing weapon mm -hmm. where it encourages you to, like, move around as quickly as you can with projectiles often functioning as, a, like, a shotgun. Mm -hmm. If you charge it up, the arrows split off. Also has a really powerful charge move, which basically turns your arrow into a giant missile that fires in a straight line. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a light uh, bow gun, which is elemental focus, so you can shoot out bullets that have like electricity or fire, poison, water attached to them to exploit weaknesses. But my favorite gun is the heavy bow gun, which is essentially someone was like, Okay, but what if we made a gun that was both a sniper rifle and a heavy machine gun <laughs> and gave you cluster bombs? You could turn it into a mortar, a sniper rifle, and a machine gun or a regular shotgun and just go to town with monsters on it. Yeah. Mm. And I played that. I played with that gun for like three hours over the weekend. <laughs> so oh, that's so awesome. much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the weapons feel really good which i wasn't sure they would in the transition to console but um for they've made all the weapons feel more mobile mm -hmm. even the melee weapons like i was 
I also took some time to try out the Twin Blades, which are normally my favorite weapon in Monster Hunter franchise, and this time I could, like, do a helicopter spin along the back of a T-Rex and cut right. it from end to end. Oh, that's, that's exciting. Awesome. <laughs> so you, you see this game being uh, kind of a resurgence for the series then? Yeah, this is a series that's clearly aimed at, like, Western markets, mm. North America and Europe, since Previous games of the franchise were mostly focused on portable games, which are right. really popular in Japan. Um, the worst-selling titles in the series in Japan and worldwide have been the home console versions for the Wii and Wii U. Really? Uh, the 3DS versions have been more popular. The PSP mm. versions have been exceptionally popular. So with the world, Capcom's trying to get a hold of the Western audience, which has been there, but it's kind of been this niche title. Right. Um, in the same vein that Fire Emblem was for years. Mm -hmm. And now they're trying to get it talking through word of mouth, and through the focus on consoles to get more a larger audience involved in it who might otherwise be intimidated. Right. Though I will say for the beta, it Monster Hunter betas always and demos always do the same thing where they lower the time limit from what is normally like 50 minutes or an hour to mm -hmm. like 20 minutes. And that's not and that's great for like veterans and all. Right. But newcomers are like, "Wait, you mean I only have 20 minutes to explore this map and kill something?" That's and in the case of some of the monsters in the demo, yeah. you're cutting it close. Like there were times where it was like you took 19 and a half minutes to kill this monster. You had 30 seconds left, and if you didn't kill in the 30 seconds, then tough luck. You're back to the main menu. Uh, like I don't get why they cut the time limit for the demo. That is weird. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I I kind of get it. It's 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 a cool tease, and it makes you want to play the game more. I guess, but. That would frustrate the heck out of me. Yeah. yeah. Um, how was the multiplayer? Now I know that's the big push for this. That it's an online multiplayer mm -hmm. for the. This is the that's the first in the series, right? Uh, they've first. had online multiplayer for the later 3DS games like mm -hmm. Monster Hunter Generations and I think Monster Hunter okay. Four. I want to say, um, but with the console version, they're really, really emphasizing uh, getting into a match quickly. And with less hassle, I played it with both friends and with random people online. For the most part, matchmaking, aside from, like, the first two hours of the beta, mm -hmm. like, you could instantly find a party to group up with. That's I used awesome. the server browser to try to find some people who are going after the hidden uh, bonus monsters in each, of the, in each of the two zones in it. Um, it seems very robust. It seems like it could, um, like... There was good infrastructure to support the online matchmaking in it. And apparently there's going to be drop-in and drop-out co-op during the oh, that's game cool. itself. Yeah, which will be like, hey, I'm playing single player. I'm going to shoot a flare up into the sky and more people will join me to take down this giant salamander. Oh, that's a um, cool concept. Yeah, that wasn't in the demo yet. You had to for play with preformed groups. But with the groups, it was pretty easy. There's a nice little quick... It's a nice, if you use the touchpad, you can send some quick messages, mm -hmm. pre-written messages, and type your own messages to people to try to coordinate something. Um, yeah, the online multiplayer worked really well for it so far. The big question for it is whether all this is enough to attract an audience. Yeah. And um, judging from the fact that when, when the beta opened on the 9th, mm -hmm. it was number one on Twitch for a oh, few okay. hours, and it hovered in the top 10 throughout most of the beta. 
I think it's a pretty good sign. And I think so there's too. and there's a new beta coming out on the 22nd. Awesome. Uh, from the 22nd to the 26th. Now, is this a, are these actual betas where they're actually testing the infrastructure, or are these demos that they're calling betas? Uh, I'd like to. S- I'd, I'd say it's a mixture of both. I would say that most of the time, like in this case, is primarily a demo. Okay. But I think the team will be taking a look at the server infrastructure oh, that's mostly good. That's, to try uh, that's to adjust Capcom, for the main release. Capcom yeah. has always had problems with server infrastructure, so. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know, like, just from previous conversations with uh, members of, of uh, certain of various teams throughout Capcom uh, this year, it's, it's a, a thing that most companies are looking at right now when they're doing these early access they're doing a mm-hmm. um a, a lot these beta ta- uh, free betas for everyone they're using it as a as a tool to see what's working what's not working and tweaking yeah uh, now how you know uh like deeply they're tweaking it between mm-hmm. demos is a different story altogether will time will tell with the next one in a couple weeks. So. Yeah. This one's in, in a week. The first one, the beta this past weekend was um, PlayStation Plus exclusive. Right, right. And from what I've read, I think the next beta is more of an open one. Okay. So even if you don't have PlayStation Plus, you can use it. Though whoever doesn't have PlayStation Plus on the PS4, that's makes no sense. That's really it? odd. Um, yeah. So when the next beta comes out, I hope that more people can get around to playing it yeah. and trying it out. I don't think Capcom will be making any big gameplay changes based off of it. It seems to be set in stone, the gameplay. Well, the gameplay seems to have been set in stone for months already. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't believe there was any changes in it from when I played uh, when from when from I played in PAX West no. to this past weekend. That's over. Okay. Yeah. So that sounds exciting. Yeah. yeah I'm I... really looking forward to it when it comes out on January 26th. As am I. Yeah. That's, cl- that's soon. That I, is, I, yeah, is in the fight really in soon. our Slack channel for who wants to review it. That's it. Oh. <laughs> Seems to be quite a quite a big big thing. But if you want to actually hear more of Preston's thoughts on Monster Hunter World, uh, you had a feature that went up on the site uh, last weekend, right? Yeah, just before the beta, I had a feature called Why Monster Hunter World Will Succeed in the West. Yeah, so it's a really good read, so I highly recommend you check it out. And uh, I think that wraps us up, gentlemen. Uh, Fun. Good? Yeah, we we're good. Talk about? No, I no? think I'm good. Well, thanks for joining us today, Preston. Really, uh, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Brendan, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me, Lisa. <laughs> uh, and thank you all for listening. And if there, uh, you like what you hear or you want to know more about the things we talked about, you can visit us at cgmagonline.com. Uh, you can like and subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes, uh, on SoundCloud, or any other podcast network that you are using. Um, you can follow us on Facebook at CG Magazine. You can follow us at Instagram at CG Mag Online. And you can follow us on Twitter at CG Mag Online for all the latest up-to-the-date news and reviews. We tweet those out very regularly. Gentlemen, do you guys have a Twitter you want to plug? Or social media you want to plug? You can follow me at Preston Doza, and that is P-R-E-S-T-O-N-D-O-Z-S-A. It's a complicated name, and I... Wouldn't hold it to you if you spell it wrong. <laughs> and Brenda? Be Fry 26. Yeah. Well, yours is the easy one. I, I know. I, you can follow me at Lisa Awesome with no E's because... E's are for suckers. Vowels are for suckers. You've heard it here, folks. Fo- first, folks, you've heard it here, folks. Well, I've just been having the worst day at talking. Poor Preston. We've been working <laughs> together all day. <laughs> he told me he had something done. And he's like, oh, I'm finished. It's ready to go. And I go, Rasumaba. <laughs> literally no word. Um, so thank you, listeners, for putting up with that today. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, Twitter, Twitter. You guys plugged your Twitter. 
You can pa catch past episodes of Pixels and Ink on YouTube, so you can follow us and like uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks again to Buns Podcast Network and Comic Bento for sponsoring our podcast. And from everyone here at CG Magazine, have a great weekend.